0: welcome back to another episode of consciously clueless the podcast that teaches you how to live a healthier lifestyle that makes you and the planet happier the world is changing quickly sometimes it feels like you can't keep up i hear you you want to make the world a better place you care but you don't know where to start you know taking care of yourself is important, but how? I get it. I have a history of diving into a new endeavor seeking perfection and quickly feeling like I failed. Whether it was going vegan or learning how to recycle more, I wish I had guidance to keep me on track and not overwhelmed. I can't lie, the world needs your help, but it doesn't need you to be perfect. This podcast is here to help. Here we go. Today, a chat with John Pabon, whose past work with the United Nations is but one of many things he's done in the world of sustainability. So where do we start with all the things that you've done in this field? Should we start with the, you know, casual United Nations work or... Where do you start when talking about sustainability?
1: Yeah, the the chill work at the United Nations. I should give myself more credit for stuff like that, but I just don't. But yeah, so I started my career at the UN, which was always the goal, backing up a step. I actually went to school for music and I realized there's no money in music and it's really hard to break into. So about three years in, I took two years into university. I took my final general education class, which happened to be political science. I put it off to the very end. I don't want anything to do with this stuff. Not my thing. And, you know, a lot of people probably have this story. There was one amazing instructor, a professor that just changed everything. And so after that, the goal was always go into politics, work at the United Nations. And lo and behold, I ended up getting a job there while I was at grad school. And Can that, I add, kind why of,
0: that was always the goal. What about the United Nations was your thing? Yeah. Where you were Like, this is it. I have made it if I get here.
1: Yeah, it. I, I knew in the field of politics, I didn't want to go to the State Department in the US because it was way too political. I just thought the UN had more of that altruistic bent. And I don't know why I have always had kind of that save the planet sort of thing in me, but I, I always have. I'm sure my therapist would love to dissect that and how that came to be. So but on. yeah, <laughs> but that's that's why I chose the United Nations. They seem to be the ones doing doing great work, and they do. So, mm-hmm. while in grad school got a job at the UN and sort of worked my way around there, but after I was there for several years and I don't mean to say anything bad about the UN, amazing organization, but as somebody who's a fresh young professional, it's probably not the best place to start because it's really hard to move up. I mean, the UN is known for its bureaucracy and right. that is really stifling for somebody who's, you know, young, passionate and and wants to move up the ranks to do to do things and to change the world. So, talking to a lot of mentors there, they said, you need to go out, do your own thing and come back maybe way later on in your career, which I did, but I needed to figure out, okay, what do you do with all of this experience kind of in the public sector in doing good,
0: yeah. but
1: you're in the private sector now. So I ended up in consulting, working for a few different companies. So McKinsey, AC Nielsen, and then took a trip to Shanghai in, it would have been 2008, just little bit of a vacation, went there, had some friends and visited them and just had an amazing time, came back to New York where I was living. And it's the height of the global recession. And everybody is just not having a great time. So great. I'm like, okay, okay, you call yourself this international citizen. Why not You know, go ahead and be an international citizen? So packed my bags and left for Shanghai, expecting just to be there for a few years, ended up being there for 10. Oh, wow. But I really, yeah, it was a long time, a big tour of duty. So I needed to figure out a way to really take all of that experience that I had been building in New York in a super commercial city. I I mean, anybody who's been to Shanghai would know this, but it is capitalism on steroids. Like, that's all they care about. It's money, money, money. And that's what drives that economy. So what do I do with all this public good, save the planet sort of stuff? I fell into sustainability that way. So I wouldn't have even called it sustainability when I was living in New York. It was just working with public sector companies. Right. in Shanghai, it became sustainability. It sort of morphed into that. And I worked in a few different capacities, particularly with BSR, who's kind of the McKinsey of the sustainability world, and eventually set up my own shop, Fulcrum Advisors, where we look really at the governance side of sustainability. So how corporations are reporting, strategizing, operationalizing, all this sort of stuff. But the majority of my career in sustainability has actually been in and out of factories working on worker development programs, so more on the social side of sustainability, and. Once Once I had one too many factories, I decided to go on the governance side, which allows me to sit behind a computer much more, which I'm happy about. And now I'm calling from Australia. So I keep getting further and further away from home. And I don't know, maybe that's another hour or two with my therapist that I could talk through.
0: (laughs) There's always stuff on the list to get through in therapy. That's that's for another day. So that, that kind of innate save the planet, want to do good. Is that something that you've Look back on and realize that really has always been present within you in some way, shape, or form.
1: I think there's there's definitely something to that, and it's probably less the environment side. That's really not my thing. There's plenty of people doing that, and that's amazing. More power to them. And but the environment and sciency sort of stuff has never been my thing. It's more the the people to people part. So really, that social aspect of sustainability and how you kind of help to make people's lives better. I think, has been the the certainly the most rewarding part. And if I look back at my time at the UN, a lot of the work at the UN is more people-to-people social. So that then bled into the work I did, particularly in China, around factory worker betterment programs. And now even a little bit, even though I do work exclusively with private sector companies, there's still that people-to-people right. element of things. And that's kind of my my part of the sustainability universe.
0: Can you say a little bit more about the social side of sustainability, what that means that might be unfamiliar for listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe just even backing up a step, looking at sustainability, because if I ask five people, I'm going to get a hundred different answers as to <laughs> what is sustainability, right? It's such a loaded term. Right. And it, it used to be kind of just the environmental side of things way back when, and that's still a sizable portion of, of the work that all of us in this space do. But And it certainly gets the most PR, but there's so much more. So you have the environment, the green side, but you also have the social side. So that really looks at how we help people, because that's a really important part of the equation. How do you help people have better livelihoods, improve their you know, time on this planet? How you help particularly workers in the developing world have proper wages and labor rights and working conditions that a lot of us that are in the developed world just don't really even think about anymore because we haven't had to face those issues. But they're very salient issues around much of the, the rest of the world. That part also includes things like animal welfare, veganism sort of sits under the social aspect of sustainability. And then there's the boring side. That's the governance side, <laughs> where, where which is where I am now, which I love, which is where you work with corporations, basically making sure they're doing the right things, which we're not doing an amazing job at, but there's a lot of grid movement. We, could, we can get into that later. But really figuring out, okay, how do you help corporations strategize the right way, report? The right way and make sure they're open and transparent, not greenwashing, not lying to consumers. So that's an entire element of sustainability as well. And overall, to answer the question, what is sustainability? It's become this catch all term for anything that relates to building a better future, whether that's for people, animals, or the planet. So it's this massive umbrella term now, which is nice because now we have our sort of fingers in everything.
0: Right, right, totally. So where did that? transition when you kind of, you were at the UN and was realizing maybe there's not as much upward mobility as you're hoping for. Was there a conscious choice of, I really should follow this earth passion, or was it again, just something that kind of was always there and then you look and see that it's in your work?
1: Yeah, I think it happened really organically over time and it was accidental. Probably the only kind of moment was getting into proper sustainability when i moved to shanghai but beyond that it was all little pieces that dog-legged me into where i am now and even even now you know if we're going to go sort of on a tangent of of professional advice for anybody young in their career, you got to be flexible, because you never know what your career is going to throw at you. So the worst thing you can do is be rigid and have an exact idea of what you want to do, because it's not going to work out. So being able to just be flexible and to take, you know, all the little different off ramps and on ramps to wherever you're trying to go, have your, you know, have your North Star vision. But you know, the way you think you're going to get there is probably not the way that it's going to end up. And it's, it's certainly been true along my path. And I still continue to grow and evolve and change. You know, what I'm doing now is probably not what I'm going to be doing in five years time. I'll still be caring for the planet and trying to make it a better place. But what that looks like will probably be very different when we talk in, in five or six years.
0: I love that. And, and probably hope it will be right. Like hope that there's that evolution.
1: You hope so. If I'm doing the same thing in 10 years and banging my head against the same wall, I'm not going to be really happy because then I wouldn't have done my job. The light way I like to think about it and my my vision, and this is actually something that's shared with a lot of a lot of my, my colleagues, is when we get out of bed in the morning, our goal should be to put ourselves out of a job. We shouldn't have to do what we're doing, but we do. And we know that we'll have, you know, pretty, pretty good career security for the rest of our lives. We know that, but that should be the goal. We shouldn't have to do these things that should just be happening naturally.
0: I love that. I love that a lot. So you mentioned the word greenwashing. And I want to get into that a little bit. You've, you've written a few little things here and there about it. And books. it is a couple, <laughs> couple books, no big deal. Just like, you know, a casual, but I would, I would love to talk a little bit more about that because it really is a growing thing. And it, it makes me so frustrated, right? Because you have consumers that are okay. I'm on board. I want to do better. And then they just get fucked. And it's so- Corporations
1: yeah. love to do that.
0: End of <laughs> episode. See you later, John.
1: Corporations love it. Any way they can make a dollar, they're going to do it. And it's awful. But, you know, that's the reality of of the way things are. So I, I've written a book. One of my newest books is the one of my- I act like I have a million. My newest book is The Great Greenwashing How Brands- <laughs> I guess so, right? I mean, the Kardashians gloat about less, so the great greenwashing. <laughs> I'll bring them up a few times. They give me plenty of plenty of fodder for books and and, and talking the Kardashians. Yeah. So bless them. So the great greenwashing how brands, governments, and influencers are lying to you. This is your podcast is in North America, so it will be out early twenty twenty four. So I, I got to this point, and again, I work pretty exclusively in sort of the marketing comms transparency area of sustainability. And I see it all the time, the greenwashing that goes on. And for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's basically where particularly corporations will wrap themselves in this language of being good for the planet, good for people, but it's probably not as altruistic as they're letting on. And so I started to realize, oh my gosh, this is everywhere. And there's really not any accessible material for consumers to really have a guidebook. A lot of the way I approach writing, and I have, like you mentioned, two books. The first one is Sustainability for the Rest of Us. I, I approach it, and people have said that the books are like having a conversation versus reading a scientific technical manual, because that's the last thing anybody wants. So I write how I talk, yeah. and I don't know why that's such a rare thing. I don't know. I'm sure my editor hates it because they want more you know, formal writing, but no, nobody needs that. The amount of profanity in my books is probably just not great for marketing purposes, maybe it's perfect it. for marketing i don't know so you know this is this is the way i write and so the great greenwashing is really that approachable guide because right now there's a few books on the market but they're kind of textbooks which is so boring so i i looked at this idea of greenwashing because i noticed it happening more and more particularly as, as we've come out the other end of covid and yes mm-hmm. i know we're still in the middle of a pandemic i know that but yeah. uh, you know the other end of of the the worst of it it just kept ramping up. And consumers, I know they're switched on. We have access to so much more information than we ever had in history. And so people know when it's happening. But because of that, companies have gotten super slick with how they're approaching it. They're investing millions and millions of dollars in their marketing departments to try to convince us how good they are. And they know how to do it. They use you know, neurotechnology to try to pull a fast one on us. And it's the good thing is it's not working. Mm. I love that because you it shows up in a few different ways, greenwashing. And I'm thinking just from the consumer, sort of you go to the, the grocery store or go to the shelf, you see it in a few different ways. The first is the the green speak, the marketing. So the words they use, the jargon they try to confuse you with, the statistics that probably don't mean much at all. They just look nice on a, on the back of a box. It's the use of a fancy marketing term, semiotics, which is basically the use of imagery and visuals to try to denote meaning. And what I mean by that is the green box. Okay, cool. So you've made your package green. That doesn't mean anything, but it's supposed to convey meaning. Or there's a beautiful advertisement with a car going through a, a lush countryside. Okay, you're still a car. Like So all of these things that they try to do, and they're they're not very good at it. The marketing and the, the propaganda is not working, which is a good thing. And as I'm going through that, I realize, okay, they're doing other things. They're misdirecting. So look over here, not over here. Look at the cute picture of kids on the front of our sustainability report, but not the child labor in Bangladesh. We don't want you to see that part. And the really slick ones, they do what's called green scamming. And this tends to be those that are in the highly polluting industries. So oil, gas, mining, those types, they will actually create front groups that look like they are sustainable NGO type groups. But in reality, they're lobbying organizations for these really polluting industries. There's plenty of examples of, it's crazy. There's one called the, and I hope I get this name right. I think it's something around the, the idea of, responsible, sustainable media network or something like that. It's something out of the EU. But that's actually a media network that is funded by the oil lobby that pushes out fake doomist news. And this thing's been around for it's been around for decades. And nobody knew until recently that it's a lobbying group. So this is the stuff. This is where they're at. Right. It's the propaganda is not working. So they have to resort to these extreme measures. And they still do it. If people are listening to this and you think, oh, ExxonMobil doesn't do that anymore. Yes, they do. So back in September, the UN's big climate week, you know, aligned with the General Assembly, business, I think it was Business Week or Business Insider, had a full two-page spread sponsored by ExxonMobil talking about their green credentials this is aimed at a group of people who are climate scientists and activists. So they're so DeLulu that they actually think they can pull a fast one on the experts in the room by putting out a spread in Business Insider. It's out of control what they're trying to do. But these are sort of the last, you know, confidence. kind of death knells, the the I'm last jealous of the
0: confidence. <laughs>
1: well, that's it. Like if we could all have that amount of confidence, oh where would God. the world be? That's so this exciting. is what they this is what they do. But as I'm digging through, I'm realizing, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, it's not just them. It's governments, it's international organizations. The UN's great. As we're recording this, it's the start of the UN's big climate conference, COP28 in Dubai, which has been just riddled with greenwashing. I mean, the guy leading the th- thing, the president, is the head of an oil company. How does this happen? So it's happening at that. that it's was happening an onion
0: at- title. I saw that. No. I was like, that has to be an onion article. That's not, that can't be real life.
1: The Onion is actually reporting better headlines than real media. So that's that's the world we're living in right now. So, and this guy, and it's been, you know, uh, as the weeks progressed over this this past week, it's actually been found out that he's used his position to broker oil deals. Sure. Shocked, shocked, not shocked, of course. So it's happening there. It's happening in sports. We talk a lot about, you know, you hear about FIFA and human rights allegations. So it just keeps going on. But then peeling back the onion even further. Of course, the ultra wealthy, you know, the Jeff Bezoses and everybody flying their phallic rocket ships to space, of course. And then it's the Kardashians taking their private jets to go and get the mail. So it just keeps going on and on and on. And everybody is greenwashing and whether they know it or not is a different issue because greenwashing can happen in lots of different ways. It's built into the marketing mix. It's done on purpose, which is bad. Don't do that. But sometimes it's accidental. I think a lot of the reason why greenwashing is ramped up post-COVID is because a lot of companies are jump, I'm going to say jumping on the sustainability bandwagon, which is a terrible way to put it, but they're trying to be better. And I think a lot of times they over-promise and under-deliver. And we can fix that. That's okay. You say the wrong thing, fine, we'll fix that. But for the ones that are super notorious, that it's built in and it's manipulative and and evil, those are, those are the ones we've got to watch out for. And circling back, I'm so happy that consumers are finally seeing through all of this, these lies.
0: I talked with a guest previously about greenwashing a bit, and I just had this, this moment that kind of replayed in my head it just really shows how this is so frustrating, right? I... A friend, we were at Target and a friend was like, oh, I want to make, I think it was laundry. So a better purchase. So you go to the natural or the green section of that cleaning aisle at Target. And all of a sudden now there's 25 different options. And a lot of the words seem right and seem like what you want to be doing. And she's like, which one do I choose? And how's anyone now? trying to make these choices. It's hard to not feel hopeless sometimes with this stuff. I don't stay in that, but there are those moments we are looking at. Yeah. How is anyone who doesn't have the privilege to have do time and research? God forbid you have a family and kids and, you know, everything else in this world and you just want to make a better choice. So what do you tell people to do in that space of hopelessness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of not being hopeless, which is easier said than done. I understand that, especially given what's happened over the last 10 years in the world that we live in, we're we're that special generation that gets to live through a transition period versus seeing the benefits of what's happening at the end of it. So the, the thing that gets me out of bed and keeps me going is knowing and, and continuing to look at what's at the at the other end of what we're going through now, because there will be an end, to all of this awfulness that we're going through. It doesn't seem like it because we're stuck in the middle of it, but it'll it'll end and we'll come out better at the other end, which is one of the messages. And certainly not to fall for these doomist things, especially the stats and all of this stuff we see on social. Because, like I mentioned a minute ago, a lot of that is actually funded by those industries that don't want us to change. So just don't don't you know, don't, don't believe the hype. But my my crystal ball prediction, and this is not just based on me being Ridiculously optimistic. It's actually based on the work i've I've been doing for years with corporations, and what I actually see is, and you hit the nail on the head. today, if you want to make the right choice, you have to do your research, and you probably have to pay a lot more when you go to the store. I get that. And it's awful, it sucks, but that's where we are. But businesses now, a sizable portion of them, have really embraced this idea of being truly sustainable. Yeah, they've talked about it forever. But it's actually happened now. It's actually been internalized within the businesses. And one of the silver linings of capitalism is that businesses will respond to Mm. what the market wants. And the market's been demanding this for 60 plus years. And now they're finally responding. Not everybody. And it's super slow. I get that. And we want it to happen faster, but it's happening. So businesses are now actually embracing this idea of being sustainable, being profitable, While doing good, which is totally fine because they need to survive, but really changing their evil ways. And so, because of that, they've entered a virtuous cycle where now they're not competing necessarily on just the bottom line. They're competing with one another on, oh, how do we be a better, how do we create a more sustainable product than our competitor? And that'll just keep ratcheting up. I like to use the example of electric vehicles, which they're not perfect right, at all. And my thing is always move the needle in the right direction because perfection is not going to happen. So EVs are better than combustion engines. They're not perfect. Fine. But we finally have them. I think Toyota just recently, there was sort of the last holdout. They finally put an EV car within their production processes. So great. Now, every major automotive producer has some sort of an EV. Some, like BMW, have entire lines of EVs. And that's what we want to see because now EV is no longer a differentiator. That's gone. Now you just have to have an EV. So they're thinking, okay, if all my competitors have EVs and that's not a differentiator, what do I do now? I need to do something better. And I know, and I don't work with automotive companies, but I've heard conversations of them looking at what's next, looking at even to the extent of do we get rid of automobiles altogether and entirely fund public transport systems? So this is the innovation they're thinking of, all because they've entered that virtuous cycle. Going back to the consumer, what that means is in 10 or 15 years' time, because this change is not incremental, it's exponential, 10 right. or 15 years' time, you're going to go to the shelf and every product will be a good product. So there's 25 laundry detergents. All of them will be trustworthy, good for the planet products, because 95% of the work would have been done behind the scenes by corporations. All you need to do is just pick up a bottle and, and check out. And that means the price as well will be lower because things will be happening at scale. But Like we talked about, we're in that transition period. So we have to be patient because it is happening and hold out hope that it'll happen even faster than it is.
0: Hey there, it's me. If you're digging this conversation so far around conscious living in this episode and you're feeling inspired to make change, that's literally why I'm here. If you want sustainable ways to be sustainable, you hear eco-friendly or green and wonder if you're doing it right. You want to make your diet more earth-friendly by going vegan. You want to live a more connected life, but you're not even sure what that means. No judgment. It is possible to feel excited about making changes to make a difference in the world every single day with your choices, to go vegan and stay vegan without feeling like you're missing anything, or to learn how to make good choices for the planet without feeling stressed. I help folks who are ready to make changes in their life that support their health and the world around them through supportive coaching, practical education, and steps that make you enjoy the process. If that's you, email me at consciouslycarly at gmail.com and let's chat. Back to the episode. It's exciting and it's also maddening to be in the middle of it, especially like I just, you know, I have oodles of privilege in terms of being able to do the research and take the time and... I want to help others do that. It's why I started this podcast and my coaching services. But I also recognize that not everyone is able to do that. And so also holding space, like you said, perfection can't be the goal. You can't be perfect in an imperfect world. And then I think people that just get locked in guilt and shame, like, well, I can't do all this. So I'm just going to do nothing because what's the point?
1: And that's been my, that was the inspiration for my first first book, Sustainability for the Rest of Us, but sort of my, maybe that's my aha moment when it comes to sustainability is looking at how we've approached things like marketing, like convincing people to act. And we've done a really crap job at it because if you think about traditional marketing, and I would have loved to have been in the room when whatever genius thought this up, but it's the burnt out hellscape of an earth. It's the the nuclear winter. It's the sad polar bear on the melting ice cap. It's all, it's the, you know, you could feed this person for 10 cents a day or something in the middle of nowhere. And if you're anybody normal, you're sitting back on your couch going, okay, well, I'm one of 10 billion people. What am I supposed to do with all that? And you end up doing nothing, right? Because you think it's it's just so, it's too much. Like saving the world is too much. I get that. But we need to break it down into sort of its component pieces of, you know, what can we actually have a real impact on in our daily lives? It doesn't have to be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect environmentalist. Don't let anybody guilt you into thinking that, that there is, because there's not. But what ends up happening, and I, I tell people this all the time, and I didn't come up with this. It's not my quote. I don't know who told me, but it's brilliant. You can do anything, but you cannot do everything. I think that's so important because as people who care, we want to do it all. That's sort of the, the the onus on us is we go outside. We want to adopt every dog, feed every homeless person, read to the old people, build a house for charity, all this sort of stuff. And, yeah, that's amazing. And I'm happy that we're doing that. but time, capacity, sanity, money, these are all limited resources. And as one person, you can't be expected to have all of that on your shoulders. And I think for so long, the messaging has been that it is all up to us as individuals. And Mm. maybe at one point it was, but the problems are too big now. It's not all up to us. So carve out that little space of the world that you sort of put blinders on to everything going on around you because you can focus your best self on whatever that is. It could be something you're passionate about, It could be something you have a special skill in, or if you're financially well-off, something you can contribute to. Money is so important in the conversations we have, but really to pick that part out and to just be hell-bent on sticking to that in the confidence that there are billions of people around the world, there's an entire army that are going to pick up where you can't. You don't have to do it all yourself. And I think if we do that, and more and more people do that and approach saving the planet that way, we're going to bring our best selves to it. Versus just being exhausted, burnt out, and saying, screw this, it's not worth it. Because we push shit uphill every single day. So the last thing we want to do is add more to the pile.
0: Yeah, I think I probably say 14 times a day on social media that it starting with your own world changes the world around you. If you are have the foundational ways to take care of yourself, to nourish yourself, to take care of your body, to take care of your mind and can adopt habits in your life that feel like you're contributing because it's that both and right oh my gosh, if I had a dime, my therapist told every time my therapist told me two things can be true at once <laughs> and not to be stuck in binary thinking, but just that it's the individual stuff. it's the day-to-day stuff to keep you connected to keep you seeing what that is. but that's not all, right There are these bigger level things that you're either contributing to or that you can move into as that foundation
1: grows 100% and it does make the conversation around all of this a little bit fairer as well because one of the things the the dirty secrets not so secret about the world of sustainability is that it's, we use this this fancy term of oh I'm totally going to get it wrong so I'm not even going to say it <laughs> it'll come to me in a second because somebody will will pillory pillory me for even getting it wrong so that the the impact of climate change and the you know saving the planet the impacts of all of this are felt differently depending where you are in the world your socioeconomic status all of these sort of things and that means that. What you need to do to save the planet is also going to look different. We cannot expect somebody sitting in, you know, a villa in Malibu, not no, I don't know who I'm talking about, uh, a villa in Malibu, to have the same, to be doing the same things as somebody sitting in a slum in Dhaka, right? It's not fair. Because we're all approaching this from very different perspectives very different socioeconomic strata. And God, I wish I remembered what the word is. It's it's like a 10- As soon as you log
0: off this call, you'll remember. It'll
1: be it. It'll totally be it. It's like a 10-syllable long word. So all of these things, we have to approach this differently. But that doesn't mean that we get out of changing the world. Everybody needs to be doing their part. So approaching it from a perspective of being local, doing things that are in your remit that you can actually accomplish and not having to worry about trying to do it all makes this whole conversation about what we're all contributing around the world a little bit fairer. Not perfect, not equitable, but a little fairer. I'm
0: curious because-
1: Intersectionality.
0: (laughs) There it is. There it is. That's the word. I love that. We didn't even have to log off. I know that I've talked to many guests about this, that specifically there's a stereotype when, if you're transitioning to a vegan lifestyle, that there's an angry vegan phase. I hit it pretty hard. I will totally admit, I've talked about this on the podcast already, but just that, holy shit, everything I knew to be true about this big system, which happened to me a lot over the years, right, is wrong and it's exploitative and I need to change and I need everyone else to change and get on board because this is fucked up. That's not exactly apparently how you motivate others, turns out. But did you have those moments as you were diving into these fields? You have such a positive energy and I appreciate it so much because I can tell that it's genuine. But what are those moments like for you when you're like, fuck, this sucks?
1: I'll give an example because there's a very front of mind one that I remember. So this was less than a month ago. I was sitting on a panel and I talk a lot on social media about how don't sit on panels actually do work. But I sit on panels and I do work. So it's okay. So (laughs) I was sitting on a panel and it was just two people and i did not know this at the time i did not know who my panel you know partner was we were at a literary festival the topic was around sort of the changing face of climate change so people in the room have decided to waste an hour of their lives to come listen to you know two people talk at them so that means they are they're they're the converted right? They're the ones that actually care. They they want to do this. The person next to me on the panel, again, I didn't know who he was at at the time. His work, his seminal piece of research as a PhD created Extinction Rebellion. That was their founding doc. And I know people don't know me, but if you did, you would know that the way I approach sustainability couldn't be more diametrically opposed to everything Extinction Rebellion does. So to have us on a panel was either uh, a really brilliant coincidence or brilliant planning on the part of whoever organized this. I don't know. So we, we, it started off fine, but within about two minutes of the panel, he kind of went on his diatribes and got on his soapbox and started yelling at the audience. And Can you give
0: us 30 seconds Extent what that means? What he,
1: yes. What... Okay. Good call. So extinction rebellion is one of the newer, Activist organizations that are out there. They're along the lines of like a just stop oil, and they're very much around this idea of getting entirely rid of fossil fuels and the use of oil, which I agree with 100%. But they're much more of the radical activist part of that, where they want it done now without any sense of nuance to how we're going to do that. But they want it done now. They tend to block roads in major cities around right. the world. They are the ones with big sort of banners that hang off oil wells and stuff like that. They do quite, quite extreme things. They're not the ones that throw tomato soup on paintings. That's a different group, but they're kind of in the same, the same area. Yeah. Same reputation. So the the guy next to me, his his work founded that. And he had a very, he was very passionate and angry. And I get that. And there is a space for passion and anger, 100%. I support what activists do in a lot of ways, but we do have to question the approach. And I think that's always been my thing is how do we market all of this? Like we were talking about a minute ago, if you're sitting in a room of people who are already the converted already, the 1%, you don't need to yell at them. Yeah. Right. If anything, yelling at them turns them off because they're like, okay, the question kept coming up. Okay. But what do we do? We get that you're passionate and you're angry, but what are we supposed to do? And that's where we are right now. And at one point I I, I said, okay, hold on, let's back up a sec. And, I talked to the audience. I said, okay, raise your hand if you are a vegetarian or you want to be. Hands went up. Sure. That's easy ish. How about veganism? Fewer hands. How many of you would give up your cell phones? No hands. Go live off the grid? No hands. How many of you would give up international travel? No hands. But these are the things that a lot on the extreme wing of sustainability are advocating for, but they're not realistic. I appreciate that you are a vegan. I am not a vegan, you know, would certainly call myself sort of a quasi vegetarian. But the reality is most people will not become vegan as you had that epiphany, right? It's just, it's probably not going to happen. So what do you do within the context of that? You encourage them to go towards veganism right. and going back okay. to our earlier, earlier conversation, not expecting them to be perfect, but making that incremental change, reducing meat by one meal a week to start. And maybe one day they will become vegan, yep. but just to yell at them to be a vegan isn't going to encourage them to change. In the same way, in this context of this, this situation, it's not going to encourage people to change just to yell at them, especially if they're converted. Right. And this is the way I look at a lot of where we are today, is we've been in the modern environmental movement since the 1960s. 1962 is sort of the the start. It's the 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 year that Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was published, which was sort of the, the first book to talk about environmental damage. And so that's kind of where we clock the beginning of it. So 60 plus years we've been talking about this, and we've done amazing things raising awareness. And that's particularly down to the activist community. So they so much being on the forefront of all of this, of getting awareness up, of creating these organizations like the Green Pieces of the World and the World Wildlife Funds and all of these.
0: People listen too. There is People something about, there is something about some of those movements and and actions taken by activists that stop you in your tracks.
1: One hundred percent, And even to the point, and this is a crazy fact that people can't get their heads around, politicians were on board back in the 70s. The, the first Earth Day was actually founded by a group of American senators, which is mind-boggling today, but because activists press them, they pressure away. The problem, though, today is these things have become so big, the issues have become so large that it can't just be up to activists making noise and raising awareness anymore. Again, there's a space for that. But at this stage of the game, after 60 plus years, if you don't know what's going on or if you're purposely getting in the way, I don't have time for you. I'm sorry. Like We the, we need to be getting those people, the 1% or even those, the the, I don't know, 90% that are sitting on the fence that want to know what to do. We need to be converting them because awareness is no longer the issue. The issue is getting people to do something with that awareness. So that's where we are now. So in that sense, a lot of the conversations I have around activism and their approach, I would I would wish they were a little bit more nuanced and they weren't so yelly and that they had a better, a stronger approach to marketing and PR because a lot of the approaches they were, they're using are not working. Throwing tomato soup at a painting is not converting anybody to action because it doesn't tell them what they can do it might raise awareness but again we're beyond that gluing your face to you know you know during rush hour to block people going to work is just going to aggravate people and what that does at the end of the day is if you are one of those 99% of people sitting on the sidelines going i don't know what to do the last thing you want to do is be associated with a fringe group that throws tomato soup at paintings or glues their face to the ground because it's it's too fringe Right. But the thing people need to realize, especially if you're listening to this, sitting on the fence, is the majority of us who are doing good things that would call ourselves sort of sustainability or Earth champions look like the two of us here. We're normal people, right. right? We're like we're not we're not doing extreme things. We're doing those small things that make incremental change. So we're no longer a fringe, off the wall sort of extreme lefty movement. This is just the way things are now. And the more we position ourselves having them them that sounds awful having people in the activist community as our poster children the worse it's going to be we couldn't pick a worse person to a worse uh trope or segment to to be our poster child
0: yeah it is interesting. we got,
1: we got marketing work to do big time
0: for real because there's there's i i want to hold space for like you said how much activists have done to get us to the point where we are and and work that i'm still learning about and in terms of the history of the environmental movement in the US and all of that thing i'm i'm excited to keep learning about you know what was happening before i got here but there is something really interesting about how i think vegan is a great example in terms of needing a freaking marketing shift because there's so many bad or stupid images that people have of the vegan movement and i'm like most of the people I talk to are in it for the planet and the animals and humanity and their health. And they're just trying to do a good job. Yes, there are people that will lose their minds at you at the rest or at you know at the grocery store or whatever. And I get it that anger is valid. Our anger yes. to these systems being absolutely fucked is valid. And that that took me a while too. I was like, I can't be angry. That's not it either. My anger is real because this shit's yep. fucked up.
1: So like but how do you channel that anger into something that's productive is the issue. And that's the same thing, no matter what we're talking about in our daily lives, work, whatever it is, you can be angry. You can yeah. be pissed off. Be pissed off. Absolutely. We all should be. But it's not just about being angry and screaming, it's about channeling that into something far more productive because all anger for anger's sake does is, you know, multiply and create more anger. It doesn't create change.
0: How do you, in doing this work and of course, you're surrounded by, I'm assuming, and from what you said, you're surrounded by stories of hope, right? You're seeing people make changes, people ask the right questions, things evolve and change in the space. But you're also, when you pay attention to these things, inundated with all the problems, and you're constantly aware of how dire the situation is, and how much we do need to move the needle, what do you do to stay positive or connected and and mindful what practices do you have to not lose
1: it have I not lost it yet I don't know maybe I I haven't I've just embraced it
0: have I lost it I feel
1: like I've lost but I'll ask I I mean if you haven't lost it you're not paying attention right so I I think for me it's it's really focusing on the reality of the situation which I know sounds kind of trite ish but not looking at things from an overly optimistic perspective. So I I sound hopeful. I am hopeful. I'm not always hopeful, right? Of course, there's plenty not to be hopeful about, but I I try to keep that reality front of mind that the change is happening. And no matter what these, the, the major... I'm just going to say blips that are happening now, but they're far bigger than blips that are happening now. That's that's all being outdone. And to really, like we were talking about a little while ago, remember that we're in this un- uncomfortable transition period. But like with anything, you go through a transition period, you know, the uncomfortability leads to something better. And so that's what I'm I'm really holding out hope for. Again, not rose colored glasses, optimistic hope, but grounded in the the things i see day in and day out to let me know that that change is happening whether that's from corporations that i work with the consumers sometimes it does feel like i'm i'm the crazy one and i'm not <laughs> so that that is the thing that keeps me going and gets me out of bed because i think for anybody in a space that tries to to save any part of the planet or its people it can get super frustrating and it's very easy to give up so you got to keep focusing on those those glimmers of hope and seeing the change that's happening. And as well, like we talked about, you can do anything, but you can't do everything being so laser focused on my little part, because if I tried to take in all this information of everything going on, that's exhausting. I can't imagine, you know, it's just this over inundation of information that we have today. I think one of the the stats I read at some point is we consume more information in a day today than people in the 17th century did their entire lifetimes. So Our brains aren't equipped for all of that. So we need to, just from a personal health and betterment perspective, make sure we're guarding against that too. So getting rid of the doom scrolling. I like a good doom scroll every once in a while, but, you know, trying, trying as much as possible not to do that and to focus the, and this is going to sound extremely privileged. I know that. So if somebody wants to take a sound bite, I hope they do the right one. Really just, just focusing in on what we can Right. And I'm not talking about tuning out of social media because you don't care about the plight of people around the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking care of, from a position of privilege, being able to take care of your health and, and especially mental health is so, so important because then you can go and bring your best self to the situation when you come back. I know that's a position of privilege to be able to turn off problems, especially when people around the world are suffering. But If you do have that privilege, tap into it every once in a while, because it is going to help you be even better in the long run. We
0: just have so many examples of people, activists, or anybody in any field that works to make the world better. We have so many examples of people burning out because they're taking care of everybody else and not themselves. I think that's something I talk about a lot more and more is just that like actually, guys, what if one of the keys to living a vegan, eco-friendly, more conscious life was taking care of yourself?
1: Not and, what if, it is.
0: <laughs> and figuring out how to mindfully add practices to your life that keep you grounded so you can do all the stuff you want to do without completely drowning in misery.
1: The biggest thing, and I'm from Southern California originally, so I'm allowed to sound floofy. My mom was a hippie. So- uh,
0: pra- Everything. Pra- yes,
1: <laughs> That's the sound bite. Practicing gratitude is so, so important. And it, and not just, you know, sitting back before you go to bed while you're doom scrolling and thinking, oh, I did a good thing today. No, sit down, write it down, write it down and keep a record of it. I'm not saying type it in your phone, write it down with, get a pen and write it down. Do old school because that has, there's a tactile thing about that to make you really sit and say, I did a good thing today or this week, whatever it might be. And I'm not talking anything groundbreaking. It does not have to be. Everything is groundbreaking. Let's say that. But anything you've done, write it down because I guarantee you've probably not even realized that it's an important thing that you've done, but it is. And that is the type of stuff that will give you the energy to keep going. And you know, if we're getting super metaphysical, it compounds on itself, right? So yeah. Giving gratitude leads to more gratitude, leads to more good things happening and more impact that you're having. But write this stuff down because it's a great record of all the amazing things. You know, at the very beginning, you you said, oh, you know, you just your, your little work at the UN and I sort of shrugged it off. And as I was shrugging it off, I'm like, no, John, you cannot do that to yourself because it's not something to shrug off. And I think so much of uh, those of us in the do good space, so much of the way we approach things is. We did it onto the next thing instead of sitting with the thing we've, we've done and we've we've accomplished and going, no, that is important. And that needs to be recognized, not from a vanity perspective, but to give us the encouragement to keep going.
0: I love that. I really appreciate that. And gratitude. I just hate how the like online self-care mindfulness space has made everyone tune out some of those words or like, gratitude. And I'm like, no, you've got to try it though, because- Even at the very minimum, I will write three things I'm grateful for at the beginning of every day. If I journal more or not, that's great. But if nothing else, it's a short little entry of a bullet list. And lately, with everything going on in the world, it's often just been, I have a bed. I have food. I have community. I get to do cool podcast interviews today that I'm really psyched about. And just seeing it in writing, there is something so different about that. That reorientates myself, not washing away my actual problems, but just giving that little bit of perspective and focusing on the things that I have going really well.
1: Absolutely. That's so, so important because it's fine to be super passionate about a cause and to be focused on it right now, but that has a space, but we need people here for the long run. The stuff we're doing is not going to be solved tomorrow. So we need you here. For a very long time so avoiding burnout in any way shape or form that you do that and that works for you please do <laughs> because the work's not done, and it's not going to be done anytime soon.
0: Is there anything you want to share with listeners that I haven't given you space to do so?
1: I would just really encourage people to, and I, I said this earlier, just not fall into that doomist mentality. You know, it's really unfortunate that this again is the transition phase that we're in, and it's super uncomfortable. But really focus on those positive things, the good things that you're doing, the good things that are happening around you, and not just to sit back and wait for somebody else to make the change, because we all need to be contributing to this, no matter what's going on in our lives. I understand everybody has problems. That's, you know, you don't have a monopoly on having problems. Everybody has them, but that doesn't absolve you from doing a bit of work as well. And I think at the end of it, when you do do a bit of work that will compound into even bigger work and you'll feel better for it.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining. This was really lovely.
1: Oh, thank you so much. This is great.
0: If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Consciously Clueless. And for that, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or tag me and share in social media. Share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. To get more resources, influence on topics covered, and bonus content, join the Consciously Clueless community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash consciouslycarly. And don't forget, if you need help living more consciously, let's work together. Email me today. See you next Wednesday for a new episode.